It's on the fuck. It's on the fuck. Everybody, Everybody wants to get, get on, on the fuck. fuck. So bring your fuck and bring your other fuck. And then we will put you, you other fuck. This reminds me, I don't think that I have been putting on Spotify that these are explicit tags. So I hope that yeah. we don't get sued by uh, Tipper Gore or anybody for not. Uh, if Tipper Gore, if you're listening right now, <laughs> you can come at the fuck at me. I will take you straight to the superior court of this United States of America. I will get Bernie Sanders <laughs> to be my representation. You're going to fucking jail, Tipper. Finally, right? finally, we are bringing some finally some fucking justice, some justice in these streets for for Tipper Gore and and the and whatever what the fuck. This is it's on the fuck. I mean, it's on the list. Everybody, welcome back. This is it's on the fuck. Welcome to the show. This is where me and Mason. Go to jail every week. Absolutely. And you are in our cell. Welcome to the cell, brother. <laughs> You're here with me, Noah Marger, and my good friend. Mason McGuire. Hello, I'm here. How are you doing, Noah? Hello. How's Los Angeles? Dude, Los Angeles is good. Uh, it rained either yesterday. Yes, it rained yesterday. Yesterday being Saturday. So Nice. Uh, it was fun. It didn't necessarily rain where I was at, but all on Instagram it was holy fuck check out this fucking raid like uh, everyone could not believe it so uh, i mean i loved some rainy season in la was my favorite season in la because it was just like thank god it's fu exactly it's staying inside the treat the hills are verdant and green it's beautiful it warmed the up hills a are bit. verdant <laughs> yes Did you say verdant verdant what is yeah. verdant very green bright like a bright brilliant shade of green is that real? Is that That's a do real we, word. is that confirmed? That's a real word. I don't have you never uh, uh, encountered that word before? No, you are the first person to bring verdant into my life. Well, so this is the verdant podcast. This is oh. an evergreen podcast. This is an evergreen is podcast. Is what I would say. That's it. There we go. We figured it out. Uh, We're always trying to figure out what our thing is for this podcast <laughs> besides the underrated thing. We've been tagged, we've self-tagged ourselves as the most stable podcast. Yeah. We've tagged ourselves as the friendship podcast. Yeah. This 2020 is the year of the verdant evergreen the evergreen podcast. podcast, baby. It does kind of help for our purposes that this is so uh, unattached to like current events or whatever that we can just kind of talk about whatever the fuck we have. Exactly, a deep, we have a deep, deep uh, variety of topics that we talk about. Uh, Which, yeah. speaking of variety of topics, yeah. the album tone. And the movie tone, I don't think, could be more different today. That's, uh, I think that's very true. I, it, I am so tickled with this pairing, though. I love it so much. So this is a Mason's pick for an album. This is a Noah's pick for a movie. Uh, and do we want to just get right into, right into the discussion this week? Yeah, I think that we should stop, you know, fucking around. <laughs> because who listens to a podcast for people to fuck around? I listen for stone cold media analysis and people <laughs> saying Bernie Sanders doesn't have a fucking chance. Well, let me tell you what. One of those things is not true. One of those things is and Bernie's true. got a fucking chance Bernie, as far as I'm he's, concerned. So. He, fucking Nevada, baby. He did it. The, he, this is the, the Bermentum is happening, man. It, it's so... Uh, the Bermentum. The Bermentum, wow. yeah. All right, so this week... This is a Mason's Choice. This has been a, uh, I don't know if I've been waiting to talk about this album in particular, but this is definitely an al- one of my favorite al- uh, artists, uh, an artist who's been with me for a long time, and this is, today we are talking about uh, the album Actor by St. Vincent from 2009. Little claps, put, some, put up some claps for Annie Clark. Uh, this Let's is- some claps in the chat, please. Yeah. Noah, do you have any- Yeah. 
history, any familiarity with Andy Clark before this? No. No. The answer. Well, that, let me let me be let me be very clear. I've never listened to Saint Vincent. Yes. Is we're talking about actor by Saint Vincent. Yes. Uh, never listened to a Saint Vincent album uh, prior to this. Never really even had any true interest, to be frank, uh, in listening to a Saint Vincent record. And uh, the, I guess, like when I first popped in the headphones, because this is my first foray into any Saint Vincent. When yeah. I first popped in the headphones, this was two days ago or whatever. I'm <clears throat> walking. Walking the fuck around the mean streets <laughs> of North Hollywood, and uh, I'm like, "All right, time to walk to my favorite place in the whole wide world, my happiest place on earth, Seven Eleven." Seven Eleven, baby. <laughs> we love it. Let's get them. We hey, we're we're not sponsored yet by Seven Eleven, but we want to be. Seven so Eleven. You know anyone out there? Seven Eleven. If you're listening, Seven Eleven, um, get at us, please. I'm. I have points. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm a real. I'm. I'm the real deal. Get at us. So you're walking to Seven Eleven. Get at us. Pop up. Yes, exactly. I'm walking to Seven Eleven. Pop in the headphone. What's the first track on this album, Mason? That is that in front The of you? Strangers. The Strangers. So The Strangers pops up, Mason. Yes. And I say as loud, like over the music in my head, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Mason got me again. Yes. Like that is literally what I thought out loud. I was like, Mason fucking got me again. And then we're listening, and we're getting closer to 7-Eleven. This isn't a particularly long album. This is literally just under 40 yeah, minutes Yeah, 39 long. minutes. And um, Save Me From What I Want comes on next, mm. which is the next track. And I liked it a little bit more. I was like, oh, okay. That's something I can vibe with a little bit more. Then The Neighbors comes on, and that's probably my favorite song yes. on the album. And I went, oh, yeah, I, I like this. Then it kind of fluctuated between... Uh, the strangers and the neighbors as far as my enjoyment. And uh, by the time I got to the end, I went, you know what? I didn't, I didn't hate listening to that. Hell yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's all I wanted to hear. Honestly. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hate listening to that. I, uh, I even liked it a little bit. There we you know, go. this was, this was one, definitely one of those where I knew that Mason was had his, pulling a Joker's trick out of his sleeve <laughs> by making me listen to something like this. But you know, that is why you listen to the album because you just never know until you put that little baby in your ear. So, uh, what about you? What's your history with Miss Saint Vincent? So Saint Vincent, uh, first album, uh, I she came into my life in 2014, just around the time when she was releasing her Saint her uh, uh, self titled album Saint Vincent Saint Vincent, um, and I had heard of her. She'd been floating in and out. I think I had probably seen the album cover for the album she did with David Byrne, Love This Giant, before I ever thought to give it a listen. Um, but I was going through my life, and at some point, I heard a cover of the song, the Jackson Brown song she did, These Days. And I Oh, she did a cover of that? She did, and I'm kind of disappointed that you can't find it on Spotify anymore. It's definitely on YouTube. Um, but she did a, she has an absolutely beautiful cover of that. Very beautiful, very tender. And so I did what I normally do with, uh, artists or did back then with artists that I was not familiar with, which is I would go onto iTunes and look at their number one song and just like buy it or listen to it or whatever. And at that time sure. that was cruel off the album, strange mercy, um, which that's an album that fucking slaps. It's an album that fucking bangs. I listened to that song a lot in 2014, and then I listened to the album St. Vincent, St. Vincent a lot in 2014. Where are we at in Mason's world in 2014? At are this point, school? I am 20. I'm a sophomore okay. in college. It is, uh, I'm still, I'm living independently at this point. I'm living in an apartment on the north side of Chicago, 
with my friends and I'm still just trying to like work out like you know my life kind of at that point it's very when you're 20 and you're sad in the city and it's a city like Chicago um you anything that kind of comes into your life is going to be very instructive I think actor was honestly not an album that I li- I listened to a couple songs here and there off of it I think definitely saved me from what I want laughing with a mouth of blood and uh actor out of work i think actually even marrow um because i saw saint vincent at pitchfork that year and marrow was on the set list and i was like oh my god this is incredible but i didn't get into the, What's the live experience like i feel like she is made to be seen live she almost. is she is i've seen her twice live i saw her once at pitchfork that year and then i saw her the um at the red i saw her at the at uh paramount actually when i was in la she oh, really? had a the first leg of her tour for Mass Seduction, uh, her most recent album from 2018, uh, was at uh, part of like the Red Bull Music, uh, what is it, Red Bull Music Academy or something like that. First day of that, okay, and yeah. she like had a concert, like a stage set up on like the city, like kind of soundstage area of uh, Paramount, and she played a like kind of a greatest hit set, and then went right into just top to bottom that album mass seduction um she is incredible um she's really just incredible uh, performer one of the just if you can just watch her play guitar is an incredibly gifted guitarist reminds me kind of of prince and just like her virtuosic ability so she's actually playing guitar on these tracks yes that is her um i think she also so i was reading up on the production of this album in particular um and she had uh there's this great quote that i found i'm gonna pull it up this album was produced by john congleton who produced her first every album of hers up until uh mass seduction which was produced by jack antonoff and especially in between actors of sandwich between marry me which is a much more um delicate kind of lighter much more orchestral and um saint vincent's uh strange mercy it's kind of like the when she's getting away from like the kind of more orchestral kind of sound. And this is like a good sort of like middle between them. And she was um, a lot of the tracks in the production in this album was um, inspired by like movie soundtracks from like sure. uh, like Technicolor movies in particular. Uh, and she's sa- in this album. In this album yeah. To? And she said that really? she would like, Cause it actually reminded me more of like, if we were going to pick a movie soundtrack, it actually reminded me more of like a, like a Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. I think collab. that that's, that's definitely yeah. And it's funny that this comes out a year before uh, the Social Network soundtrack and the Social Network. Yeah. Um, but this is what she said. Uh, this is the first record I worked on with John Congleton, who's a veteran producer. Um, started with another producer, but things just went horribly wrong. So she called John. Spent a long time on all these tracks. I'm just reading this from Wikipedia. Sure. All of these beautiful wind and string passages that I was trying to make into songs. I called John and said, you know what? I think I need to try again with these songs. I think that I'm not careful. They'll be making the soundtrack to The Lion King. So can we just rethink this? Oh, wow. I went in and basically, and that's another thing I love about Annie is she's very, uh, she's very funny. Uh, she's very, I think, forthright, and she's also apparently very nice if you see her in person in real life. I went in and basically re-recorded everything but the wind and strings. It was an 11th hour thing with John and I in the studio saving the record. When I was writing it, I was watching a lot of films, Disney films from the 30s and 40s. I was going for Technicolor on that record, and we luckily we saved it from being the last record I ever made. The way it had been going, I'm not sure if anyone would give it a listen. John's sonic power is strong and contagious, and because we were already friends, I felt very comfortable with him. 
We are able to go about making a record with no ego or strange human relationships. We would be clear-headed about the songs and the best way to present them with the arrangement. That's so surprising to hear, to be honest with you, because the I just the like when you think of, or at least when I think of Technicolor, I think of lush and very like uh, maximal and very like I don't know, not pristine, but just very like presentational and I don't listen to this and I don't really think that. So that's interesting that that's what was going it through is. my mind. Yeah. And I think that that's what I love about this record and it's kind of production is um, it's that sound filtered through her in a way, you know? Sure. Um, like when I think of St. Vincent, there is a, when I think of her sound, there is definitely like a harshness that I think is um, characteristic of her music, but it's like a harshness. And there's also, um, it's kind of like the harshness is like an armor to kind of mask the vulnerability. Um, sure. I think in her lyr and her lyrics, which are so, uh, beautiful and, uh, just, just, uh, I love her, just her songwriting and her song craft, but it's so, I think you're right that this is not an album besides the fact that there is like string and orchestral arrangement on it. You wouldn't think of it like kind of lush and romantic. Um, yeah, it's very, um, this is an album that I think I listened to it for the first time, like really like listened to it when I was in LA. This is a big LA album for me. And there's a, there's a lot of this that kind of reminds me of, and I was listening to this actually again for the podcast, I listened to it three times for, to prepare for this. Oh yeah, baby. I love this album so much. But the first time that I listened to it, I was taking the train. Uh, I jumped, I was jumping on uh, the bus to take the blue line to go hang out with a friend of mine in the city. And I just, in, Chicago. in, in old Chicago and uh this album very much remind has that kind of like a specific kind of like new like urban feel like you get from like a chicago or a new york like there's um like kind of a lot of the it's a very busy album. it's a very there's a lot of sounds yeah, a lot of yeah. vocal like mixing with these interesting sounds like it like just it's so boggling to me and like if you haven't heard the album you'd pop on any song on this album with knowing that she is thinking about Technicolor. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, that is so not computing for me. Like that is such a weird thing to hear yeah. hearing this because in my head, this is like Sia and the progenitor <laughs> of Billie Eilish. Yeah. I think, I think that's absolutely, I think you can draw a straight line from St. Vincent to Billie Eilish. I don't know for sure if she's ever quoted her as a reference point. Billie Eilish has ever used um St. Vincent as a reference point but it would definitely not surprise me what I think it is also is I think maybe she's um she most of her songs I think are written in the th first or second person she always feels like she's writing from the perspective of a character or about a character you know okay for sure um, and I think maybe when she's saying that she's writing this about a like a 30s Disney movie or Technicolor movie I want to think that she's watching like a Douglas Sirk kind of melodrama and trying to come up with like a song that that singer that that main character um would like kind of feel or have in them you know almost but through this kind of like late 2000s like uh crunchy kind of rock sound um you know that I, th I it's the um that kind of balance on this album that I think is unlike anything really in her um, discography and makes it like just um, really unique and just an album that I just adore and love coming back to honestly 
Uh, I'm happy that you liked it. I knew, like, listening to it that I feel like I felt like I was kind of taking a, a risk with this one. It wasn't going to be like a Robert Palmer's Clues where I'm like, if Noah doesn't fucking sure. love this, then I don't know what to do with this guy. This, I think, uh, I understand your reservations. And I do think that you, you're the strangers rocks, the neighbors rocks. I think on this one, my big song was just the same, but brand new. Oh, sure. The, this, the penultimate track. I don't know what it was. I got, I am. Well, it's interesting. Cause that track, that track actually is kind of the finale of the album. Yeah. And the sequel is a little bit of an after credits sequence. Yeah. Is if you were going to put it in terms of a film, but like the sequel almost feels like the epilogue to the album, yeah. you know, whereas just the same, but same, just the same, but brand new is very, you know, triumphant and big and like, uh oh, here we go, things are about <laughs> to end, and it's sort of this. It literally is in the in the name, just the same, but brand new. It is a rebirth. Yeah. You know, you are getting that you know hero's journey rebirth in that track, and you could argue that that the sequel track, the last track on the album, is sort of the apotheosis or the you know ascension of this character. If we want to keep going down the path of no, uh, I think she's writing and it's the perspective of a character. Yeah, I definitely think that that's a, a, a great call, and I'm glad that you um, made that call because there is like. If you listen to this and just kind of like you, it's easy to, there is like a journey that you go on with the, with St. Vincent or whatever, whoever you want to call the main, main character of this, uh, this album, it does feel like you are kind of, um, following this person, uh, in the aftermath of some, like maybe not, maybe a breakup or some kind of, um, tumultuous moment in like a relationship maybe or something, Sure. Um, I th- or just like maybe like a journey as an artist. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. the album is called Actor. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the tracks is after the fourth track on the album is called Actor Out of Work. We have met her in this low point or this character in this low point. They don't know what to do. Presumably they're in L.A. Probably. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, then you get, you know, laughing with blood in my mouth, marrow. You get deeper and deeper into this just like weird like you could argue like this psyche of this character and by the time we're at the end we've come out and we're you know it's a hero's journey it is it's literally a it hero's is. journey and i think that it's all um i i would say that this is like knowing her and her history she's like she was more east coast based she went to school in boston at uh i want to say i think she went to berkeley actually berkeley college of music oh hell yeah rep let's let hey shout out to berkeley college of music know a lot of people who've gone there. Uh, I have no idea if it's actually a great school, but we're going to tell great school. Shout out to Berkeley College of Shout Music. To- That's where Eric Andre went. That is correct. That is where Eric Andre went. So the, it- He was a bass player in, at Boston or at Berkeley College of Music, and then he said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> gonna, well, did you know, Mason, that they film all of the openings of the Eric Andre show in one day? All of them? They just film, like, they dedicate a whole day just to the openings of the Eric Andre show. That's cool. Like they like film all of the sets coming in, blah, blah, blah yeah. at once. Cause then they just can say, okay, we're going to chuck all this shit in the trash. Friend of the pod and frequent guest Rocky Pajarito was a production intern on one of the seasons of the Eric Andre uh, show. That, yeah. I think I knew that about Rocky actually. Uh, and thank you for that, Rocky. I, I hope you're listening. We miss you, but I hope we, we get you back on the podcast. Uh, he- hashtag get Rocky back on the pod. Hashtag get Rocky out of jail. Hashtag get Rocky a kiss. <laughs> Thank you, chefs. Thank you, chefs. Um, but I really adore this album. I also think that it's um, 
I I one of my favorite things is just going. I started kind of with Strange Mercy. That was my favorite St. Vincent album for a long time, and I guess it might just kind of be because of the place it has in my life. But um, I definitely think that this is an interesting. Uh, this is her sophomore album. I definitely think that this. There's definitely a point where you're listening to this if you're familiar with her work and knowing where she's ended up, where you're like. She is kind of becoming more aware of, I think she even wrote this when she was like 26, like 25 or 26, like really super young when she, when she made yeah. this album. Yeah. Um, and you kind of, it's really interesting because she's kind of, uh, she was 27. Yeah. When this album came out, um, she is kind of almost calling her shot on what the rest of her kind of public persona is going to be because she does go through a, a, um, kind of she goes through like kind of cycles with her um public image and with her um just like sound she's very much not the same person that she was when this album came out and i think it's it's just so interesting to follow her on that journey um but there's a line in i don't remember which song exactly on this album and i wish i wrote it down um i think it might have been just the same but brand new where it, you are just kind of like uh the, the, the essence, the St. Vincentness is going to be the same. It's going to be in this like kind of new shell. Um, and I think that this is, I think this is kind of a good, here's my question for you now, actually. Are you curious to hear more St. Vincent after hearing actor? Um, I, there is more music out there that I would like to hear first before I go back into St. Vincent. I, this is an album that definitely I would not have sought out on my own. Had it not been for the pod, I don't normally listen to this kind of music. Like I said, it feels like the progenitor of what Billie Eilish then came and sort of ran with, yeah. uh, which again, I don't dislike Billie Eilish, but I don't particularly like Billie Eilish. And I kind of feel the same way about this. I don't particularly like this album, but it was a nice listen to. So just to sort of, uh, I'll say it now, this is a conditional recommend from me. Uh, if you're into this kind of music, you've probably heard this album already, but uh, if you are a Billie Eilish ish fan uh i would say give it a shot you know you might find something that you're into but i have a feeling if you're listening to this kind of music already you've probably heard this album this is probably as far as like since we've sort of like been going after like social media a little bit harder with the pod yeah i would say i had about three or four people like respond to me on instagram by going oh my god i love that album. yeah a uh, friend of the show a uh, friend of friend of mine uh chris collins commented on facebook that he was listening to actor the other day so this is definitely an album with fans um i also uh i give this i think also maybe a conditional recommend just because it wouldn't be the first saint vincent album i would recommend to somebody you'd probably recommend strange mercy right? probably strange mercy probably even her self-titled i think her self-titled album is a little more um it's not gonna throw you as it's that's kind of the album where she like really popped and exploded in like the kind of wider culture i think um i and i definitely think that that's a little she's it's more electronic based she's not doing anything kind of funky with the um like the production of it really uh and there's just some like really fucking killer songs on saint vincent saint vincent but I really adore this album, and I think that um, if it sounds, if anything that we said just sounds at least a little interesting, I would definitely say start with probably "Save Me from What I Want," um, 
actor out of work and the strangers i think would be kind of like the three eh, and laughing with the mouth this is so tough i love every song of this album actually Damn, i will say you are in fucking fucking i'm fucking right up now. oh my god i'm gonna quit this podcast uh <laughs> i say nice. i say <laughs> good move dude. i say the strangers save me from what i want and maybe uh marrow i think would be the three from this album that would be like if you want to listen to three just to get, get your feet wet those would be the three, even if I think just the same, but brand new is the best song on it. But I think wow. that's about covers it for St. Vincent's actor. I would agree. Chef, uh, again, actor by St. Vincent, 2009, uh, couple bangers on there. Um, but that is what we got. We are going to transition into some movie. Oh, oh yeah. I was so excited. Noah, do you want to preview this movie? Yes, you fuck. (laughs) I picked it! So, uh, today we have a movie. You know what it is because you are listening to the podcast and you've read the title of the show. Or you follow us on social media. It's on And you follow us on social media. It's not a fucking secret. Uh, That's not the the name of the social media. It's not a fucking secret. But that would be a great podcast. That would. Uh... What's is that like a like a true crime podcast? You think it's not a fucking secret? Where it's like no, everybody knows that murderers on that one. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Um, No, this is a movie from 1999. This is directed by Alexander Payne. It wasn't his debut feature, but in all respective purposes, it was his coming out party as a really talented director. It is his boogie nights, so to speak. Exactly. It is Alexander Payne's. That's crazy thing to say about this. (laughs) Uh, This is 1999. Alexander Payne's election. Oh, big ups for big ups for this movie. I was so excited when you suggested this for this week because it has been a minute since I've seen this movie, and it is only more relevant in today's day. Hundred percent. That was the thing. This yeah. is a this is a political satire disguised as a high school movie. Yeah, and I th- and yeah. you've probably heard of this movie. You've maybe seen this movie. It's kind of a like high school movie of like a definitely a different generation like people graduating high school in like the early 2000s probably mm-hmm. like saw this movie it was like a fucking mtv movie production that is you what know, this is movie so was... insane and i forgot about it was when i was watching this it's on amazon prime and i had a fucking hell of a time trying to find it when it was just on amazon prime um yes, chef. Uh, but i was watching it and the paramount logo comes up and i'm like yeah chef you love to see it love paramount and then the mtv lo- lo- movies logo flies in and i'm like oh yeah Oh, right. MTV Movies produced this. And it's like the classic Paramount, not the classic Paramount logo, but it's like a very night. It's like the very traditional nostalgia 90s Paramount Mm -hmm. logo where the hashtag Good Sky Tonight at Good Sky Tonight. (laughs) They have a very good sky, you know, for the mountain. Uh, It's got a little bit of like a little animated thing from like what I can remember, but it's not like the one where the stars are like barely grazing the thing. Like it's a very like. 90s color palette very nice paramount yeah. and then you got the fucking spaceman flowing through and you're like oh mtv i don't associate uh scholar alexander Payne <laughs> with mtv and then the movie starts and i think i wrote this down the movie has a wet dryness to it i think that's the just movie, the midwest the but whole, i mean you've never been here i don't think but that's kind of what i've it never is, been here the midwest is. but like the you, at first glance, also, if you're, like, haven't maybe been through, like, if you watch this movie, like, while you're in high school or maybe pre-high school for whatever reason, if you get your hands on it, maybe it doesn't resonate the same. But being out of high school and, like, in the quote-unquote real world, I'm like, fuck, there's the lockers. Yeah. Fuck. So- there's the track. Fuck. 
there's the weird teacher who's here really early for school. Yeah, so, you know, when was the first time you watched this movie? What's your what's your relationship with Alexander Payne's 1999 film election? So I think I probably did see the movie when I was too young to appreciate it because mm. I remember like my freshman year of high school. Uh, that was like when I decided like, okay, I got to watch every movie ever. Yeah, like, that was like when I decided that and, you know, obviously you don't watch every movie ever, but there's a lot of stuff that I watched at that time that like I could tell that I was interested in, but I, for whatever reason, it was probably a little bit beyond me mm. at the time to watch. AKA I watched Dr. Strangelove at that time yeah. for the first time. And I was like, well, this wasn't like the hangover. So <laughs> I was like, this movie sucks. And I was like, that movie's overrated. But watching that movie, like junior year of college again, giving another shot. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. So, you know, you watching these things that you are interested in, you can tell you had a specific interest, but it went over my head. And election was one of those movies. I think I watched it in either freshman or sophomore year of high school, maybe even like tail end of eighth grade, because I like thought the poster was interesting. Again, great, another poster. great movie poster. Great fucking poster. Fucking Are we talking about the one that's just uh, Reese Witherspoon's mouth open and Matthew Broderick just peeking her, his head and like, what's going on out there? Yes. And a little bit, truly a little bit misleading. I think so. Absolutely. But a great poster nonetheless. And so I watched the movie then and I didn't like it very much. Truth be told. Right. I didn't like the movie very much and time goes by and I watched it, you know, probably my junior or senior year of college again, because that's when you're now starting to revisit all the shit that you were watching and is, you know, whatever, four years later, five years later, and I'm watching this movie and I'm like, hmm, hmm, yeah, yeah, this is great. <laughs> like it was just one of those where I was like, yep, this is a great movie. And I think I watched it like, an- like one, like twice in like the span of like two weeks or something like that. Just yeah. because I was like, man, I'm like obsessed with this. And uh, I think prior to that, I had seen uh, Nebraska, which was my like favorite Alexander mm-hmm. Payne leading up to this before I had given this a fair shot. And I don't know, man, he's just, he's just got some special Midwest sauce that I am all about. But what about you? What was your little intro to this guy and his, this movie? So similar to you, this got, this came to me, I think later high school. Cause I remember specifically, I think watching the Edgar Wright commentary track on Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And he mentions Alexander Payne and this movie in particular on oh, it. Really? Yeah. Um, and it's so funny in what regard. So I, so there's a, um, scene in, uh, I forget where it happens in Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but there's a scene where Scott's like on the phone calling Ramona and says like, uh, this is Scott by the way, or something like, you know, leaving a message that could only be from Scott and then closes it off by saying, this is Scott by the way. And he says, that's sure. something I stole from Alexander Payne in the movie election. Oh, I'm like, oh, okay. So I got to watch this movie now. Uh, loved it. Um, but it's, it's a curious thing, and I don't know if your relationship with this movie reflects this, but when I watched it, I think I was definitely more, I didn't understand that Jim McAllister was always a pathetic character from the beginning, <laughs> you know, sure. you know, like I, th- like this time in particular, I think the last time I watched this was around the 2016 election when people were being like, people were really pulling it out. Like, oh, Hillary Clinton is, is Tracy Fleck, but I don't think, sure. you know. 
Um, and Donald Trump is Donald Trump is Paul Metzler. I'm like, that's that's so mean to our boy. Paul Metzler's a sweetie. He would not. <laughs> Paul Metzler's like a sweet no, naive def- boy. Does not deserve Trump that. Trump is not Paul Metzler. No, if not anything, Trump is more Tammy Metzler. If anything, if anything, but I think Tammy Metzler is fucking Bernie. Like that. I love Tammy so much. Uh, Tammy is the is anarchy on both sides of the coin. Yes, uh, Tammy Metzler. I bless up, bless up Tammy Metzler. Bless up Chef. Um, Bless up, Chef Tammy Metzler. If you're out there, hey, Tammy Metzler, if you want to come on the pod, <laughs> talk about your starring role in election, talk about your one true love, your OTP, your <laughs> one true partner in this movie. Bless up, Tammy Metzler, come on the pod. Anyway, yes, Chef uh, So anyway, so I was watching it and I definitely, I thought that, um, I definitely think that I like um, sympathize with Jim McAllister being like, oh, Tracy Flick is like super annoying uh, and didn't realize that kind of, there's like, almost every single character in this movie, at least like the adults are so fucking pathetic. Well, that's what I think is kind of the magic of the film in a lot of ways is that every character, including Tracy Flick, including Paul Metzler, including what's the name of the kid who brings in the, like the big box where all the votes are, whatever that kid's name is. Oh, uh, Lucas or something. Lucas, whatever that kid. Yes. That kid, the kid who's like, but he was the guy who does the vote count first. Yeah. Yeah, including him, every single character in this movie is at one point sympathetic, and then the next time you see them, completely reprehensible, and then the next time you see them, completely sympathetic, and it is this crazy, like, both writing trick as well as acting trick that all these people are balancing, and I think it so accurately sums up politics because not only this is a very specific it's based on the book by tom prada yeah. we should also mention that this is an adaptation uh and tom prada also wrote the book uh little children which i don't know have you seen little children i've not seen little children i believe he also wrote, he also wrote the leftovers oh and he very also nice. yeah and he also wrote i believe up in the air i want to double check that last one but i'm pretty sure on that not sure about up in the air chef but uh what i what is so interesting uh, is that they're just able to flip-flop between being sympathetic and reprehensible. And although this is a specific satire of, I don't remember did what not year write, it is. Did not write up in the air. That's, yes, that's Chef. On me. <laughs> uh, but this is a specific satire of when Ross Perot entered the presidential yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would I think that was like the early 90s. I think it was 92, specifically. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had that whole situation going on. That's sort of the, you know, the Tammy Metzler independent coming in and going, blah, 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 blah. But this is just a awesome satire of politics, kind of on the broad scope, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think that the I I definitely agree. I think that um, that's the thing that uh, I think that you're right. I think that this movie um, it's kind of like satiric edge. Maybe becomes just a little bit clear every single year. The more that we realize that the elites don't know shit and um regard uh you know then we'll just flat out ignore the will of like just the will of the people and particularly with this election cycle i think it's kind of (laughs) incredible um i love there's a moment towards the end that i have not caught until this one but it's that um tracy flick and paul metzler treat spoilers for those who haven't seen spoiler alert please pause this podcast watch the movie and come back to listen to us talk after this part so i love so Matthew Broderick rigs the election for Paul Metzler for his candidate just because he kind of can't stand to see Tracy Flick be excited. He's um, scared he ha- harbors- of her and jealous of yeah. her. 
he's scared, jealous. And another thing that I love about him and this character, and I think, um, one, I think, uh, Reese Witherspoon is just fucking incredible in this movie. This is her um, coming out party too. I don't yeah. think she gets legally blonde if she doesn't do this character. No, definitely not. And I definitely think that she does a good job of, um, she was in her early twenties when she, uh, played Tracy Flick, but does such a good job of portraying, um, there's no irony to Tracy. She doesn't recognize it. Uh, no. she, she's, um, looks at the world so purely, um, and, uh, just is, she just does such this great job of portraying this like kind of go-getter attitude that Tracy has that gets like really taken advantage of by Jim McAllister, who, you know, you think about Matthew Broderick and you think about his career before this, he was like this kind of like bright face. He was like Ferris Bueller, you know, he was kind of like a mischief maker. He was a uh, bright faced and yeah. this does a really good job of just like getting it like the kind of like the hauntedness of Matthew Broderick too. Um, sure. Well, that's that's the that's the genius casting decision. Is we know him as Ferris Bueller. We know him as the antithesis of a Tracy Flick. He's yeah. the guy who's going to do just enough to skate by, and no one can understand how this guy is so well loved and well received because he's a little bit of a giant fuck. But he's a huge fuck. <laughs> but we still like him because we are jealous that he has such a carefree attitude about the whole thing. That's why he Ferris does, Bueller yeah. works so well. Definitely. And what, so what's your opinion on uh, on uh, Jim McAllister, the man? <laughs> he's pretty straightforward in that he's pathetic, yeah. but he's complex in that we all have a little bit of a Jim McAllister in us or that we have the potential to be Jim McAllister-esque. And yeah. both things, it's interesting because even though Tracy and Jim has split narrating duties in this movie... Uh-huh both of what they're saying about each other is completely correct. Yeah. You know, like no yeah. one is slandering the other person in a way where you go, oh, well, that's just fucking bullshit. Like Tracy, what she has to say about Mr. M uh, <laughs> is completely correct. And what that she and what he has to say about Tracy in a lot of ways is completely correct. They just hate each other. And, okay, another spoiler, this isn't really much of a spoiler, but this is sort of the reason why Mr. McAllister hates Tracy is... It's in the first 15 minutes, yeah. Yeah, she fucked his best friend who worked at the school well, and got Well, his best friend fired. fucked her. Like, well, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. They had sex. And yes. <laughs> uh, it's a big deal. And he got fired. And the, inter- the interplay between uh, Mrs. Novotny and Mr. McAllister is also very interesting. Yes. And it also, in a way adds to the patheticness of Mr. McAllister and in a way kind of gives you something to like root for a little bit. Cause it's like, well, I guess if he needs something, let's just have him do this. But <laughs> at the same time, everyone is so reprehensible and interesting. Like it's just yeah. so like, ah, oh, it's just so good. It's just, mwah, mwah, mwah. it's just I so well written. This movie is perfect. And it is just like, even like away from the plot and the characters, just like, how Alexander Payne shoots this, like, this is just such an incredibly well-directed movie. Oh, 100%. A, um, really well-directed, and I, I want to look up the editor because we watched this So it's in Kevin college. Tent. It's Kevin okay, Tent is you. the editor. And did you, is it the documentary, I can't remember what it's called, but how he paid Alexander Payne 20 bucks to cut that one sequence uh, when he walks in on the, like, when they catch him uh, throwing the votes out? Is that what you were going to say? No, actually, so go off on that. I was going to say, I was going to say an anecdote from my life, but I think what you were going to say is going to be, is much more interesting. So Kevin Tent is the editor on uh, Election, 
And he, this, we watched this, some editing documentary, I cannot remember the name of it, in my editing one class in college. And he says in the documentary, Alexander Payne didn't want to cut the sequence where he's caught the way uh-huh. that it's currently in the film and how we know it now. Kevin Tent, that was Kevin Tent's idea, the editor of the film, to go, you With know. like all the faces? All the different faces, cutting back to Jim, like keep getting punchier and punchier in. And he literally was like, and Alexander Payne didn't want to do it. So literally the editor of the film said, I will pay you $20 if you let me cut it like this because it's just going to be so much better. And eventually Alexander Payne was like, okay, fine. <laughs> he just let him do it. And that's the version that they kept in the movie because he was like, didn't even want to try it. And he's like, I actually like this a lot. Thank you very much. Um, and as well as the editing of the film, James Glennon is the DP. And yes. I love the way this movie is shot. Not enough movies are shot this playfully. And it is so fun to watch this movie both, you know, and they're in tandem. The cine of the film, the way I love when we're just behind a character tracking with them, like when he goes into the backyard and when we're, you know, when we see Paul going into the house and the way that like, even just the way Tracy sets up her table with the dunk, 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 dunk with all Uh the table legs. I just love the way this movie's constructed. It's so fun. But at the same time, has the magical Midwest dryness that is just so funny in conjunction with that. Yeah, I love the Midwest. I... Alexander Payne is probably is the one of the great Midwest directors, uh, which is Omaha, why like, Nebraska, Nebraska, to edit Omaha, Nebraska, uh, Citizen Ruth. I haven't seen the only one of his movies I haven't seen is uh, about Schmidt. Um, but I love Sideways also. But what I think that this being moving away from the Midwest and then coming back to sure. the Midwest, this movie does get the there's this particular Midwest character where it's like. It's like what you pointed out with um, Tracy Flick and Jim McAllister, where you can read another person for filth, but there is almost no self-awareness. <laughs> There's totally. um, the only kind of – I think the only self-aware person in the movie um, is either uh, – Tammy Metzler's somewhat self-aware, I think. But Linda Novotny is very self-aware when she's uh, – after her and Jim consummate their, their relationship and she calls and is like, this is a moment of weakness and you took advantage oh. of it. She it's, fucking plays him like a fiddle, and it is dirty. What happens? I don't read it as I don't read it as being she's playing him. I read it more as like she is like kind of she's a lost, lonely person. I don't think she has an awful lot of friends. That's another thing about living in the Midwest, especially if you have like a ranch home. Like you don't really talk to your neighbors. You spend a lot of time indoors by yourself. And Jim McAllister, shit. In, Who's gonna go outside and talk to their neighbors? <laughs> any kind of social especially if you're like somewhat of a pariah after your husband uh, has sex with one of his students. Um, I would see, I understand that she's like probably a a lonely person um, and not quite sure what to do with those feelings. And so she like calls on the closest people person that she knows, Jim McAllister, and he goes to help out because he has a crush on her or whatever. And maybe in a moment of weakness, they like kiss or smooch or whatever. But I love that he um, is so, uh, he's so pathetic and he just wants that, relationship to happen so much that he like yeah. runs out in the like his students are taking a test and he runs out and like gets out like he gets um flowers from walgreens he rents a room in a motel he like has time to like wash his balls <laughs> in yes the that, that motel is so awesome i love that, that motel. is such an awesome the american motel. motel yeah the uh the this the, the sex aspect of this movie i think is something that doesn't 
really get like remembered, quote unquote, when you think about this movie. Because yeah. I think a lot of the, what's remembered about this movie is the political satire of it and the yeah. fact that it's like a great American high school film, even though it's not directly about like the struggles and trials and tribulations of people and teachers in high school. But I, I think the sex aspect is something that doesn't get talked about enough. And I actually did the scene where she goes and tries to get him to take the signatures early. Yeah. Like at the beginning of the film, I did that scene in the directing class when I was at school. And I remember the professor who I don't like very much, so we're not going to dox her on the pod. <laughs> but uh, I remember she was like, where's the sex? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, he's afraid he's going to fuck her. Where's the sex? And I'm like, Oh, I guess I didn't really read it like that. She's like, well, you didn't do the scene right. I was like, come on, big, big fucks to whoever that was. I know. And she's a pretty accomplished director as well. Um, (laughs) And so I was like, fuck you. Um, And so I, it was one of those things that every time I watch this movie now, I'm like, yep, there is a temptation and a fear that you were going to do the wrong thing under pretty much everything like Mr. McAllister is up There's to 100%. Yeah, like, in at least in the first, uh, there's two scenes where he's, like, in bed and thinking about her. One where she's just, like, it's so great that it's just, like, this tight close-up on, like, her lips and she's whispering it, like, this superimposed over it. It's very, like, kind of expressionistic. This is a very expressionistic movie, and this is one of the, my favorite moments in this movie, is when you just see, like, the impression of her lips, like, whispering, and then when he's, um, when he's having sex with his wife, who also did nothing wrong. I love his wife. She doesn't get oh, much to she, do in this, but she's a real sweetie she, pie. She gets so screwed over. She is so sympathetic. She's so, she's, uh, very sweet, Diane. Um, but he's having sex with her, and he just, like, sees... First, Linda Novotny's um, face superimposed on the back of her head, and then Tracy Flick's <laughs> the back of uh, yeah. face in the back of her head. And I love that they're uh, and even in his fantasy, he's still like kind of getting like negged by this woman. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, these and women. another thing to another thing to point out is Mr. Fucking McAllister and his wife are doing anal. Let's, yeah, let's not, let's not <laughs> skip over that. Mr. McAllister is nailing Diane from behind, and that's like. Whoa, Mr. M, I did not want to know that Getting much little, about that. A little freaky, yeah. <laughs> and so, but yeah, the, the face comes in and is just like, I think we're going to be spending a lot of time together. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's just like, oh, this girl is under his skin. And what's interesting and what kind of makes Tracy a little bit more redeemable, well, no one's really redeemable, but if you wanted to force rank them, is that he never really gets under her skin in the same way. She right. completely gets under his skin, and yet, no matter what Mr. M does, Tracy is just full steam ahead, like, okay, you're an obstacle in my path to being the greatest woman who ever lived and marched this planet. Like, yeah. And that is, like, what is sort of, like, commendable about Tracy is that she literally is just on the warpath, but at the same time, she's so uh, short-sighted about everything that she goes to Georgetown probably for the law program and she can't make friends with anybody. There's a real loneliness to her character that I really appreciate and and I'm sympathetic to uh, this time watching it that I can recognize a little more now that I'm a little older. Just the loneliness in in Tracy Flick and in that kind of just just kind of go-getter person that they uh, it's she's similar to like kind of Max Fisher from Rushmore in that way. Totally. Um, And I both filling the hole in different ways like I think that Max Rushmore used to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Like, I think it's Wes's best movie, but um, Max is filling the hole because he doesn't feel loved 
Whereas Tracy is filling the hole because nothing is ever good enough for her. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just a like one is a little bit more like you could take pity on it is Max. The other is like on the surface a little bit more like, oh, this woman is just a type A, like, you know, out for fucking well, blood and she just wants to be on top of the world. But like you were saying, there is a loneliness that you do get to see because her dad isn't in her life. Yeah. Her mom isn't like she's supportive, but she's not super capable of supporting her yeah. in the same way. And so she just kind of has to raise herself, which is in a way, you know, not in a way that just is sad. Yeah. I think, and I think that the, um, it's, it's particularly with her mom. I think that there's a little bit of, you know, her mom is supportive in the little bit that we see her, but I do think that she's trying to maybe mold Tracy into the image of herself. That's not like a huge thing in the movie, but I, there's a little bit of things that I read in that character. Uh, I think that there is like, you know, this is a line that I picked up. I was also like, this is the first time that I watched this movie and was just like laughing out loud watching it. Um, sure. It's not It's not that I don't laugh out loud at movies, but I sometimes it takes a little bit for that to just like really get in and just, it, it's just so infectious. It's so fun. This is such a fun, funny movie. But there is the line where, um, this is what I mean by there's like no irony to Tracy Fleck and she just has no self-awareness because she's like a teenager um, also, but she's like, uh, I don't need, like, just, I don't, wasn't in love with Mr. Novotny because he, and I love that she still calls him Mr. Novotny too. I know, so good. Uh, like, I didn't, like, he didn't, I didn't need him because I needed a dad. He was just felt like so strong and protective. I just felt so strong and protected by him or something. And it's like, she's recognizing, you know, I think that, I don't know. I love Tracy Fleck. That's all I'm trying to say is justice for Tracy Fleck. I think, I do think that it is like. Um, you know, Dave Novotny is definitely a bad guy and took advantage of a, lo- a lonely kid and definitely did the wrong act totally. incorrectly. And I love, and I think it's so true. And this is what makes this movie brilliant is it's like, you know, you get the a whole other movie, like in the first 15 minutes almost. Yes. Um, and you kind of are living, uh, with this character who's in the fallout being Jim McAllister and it's like his like kind of resentment towards her for something that she might not have had complete control over should not have been uh, completely blamed for. I think you're right. I think it is your your teacher was right that it is he is scared of fucking her. <laughs> yeah, he 100% is. He's scared he's going to fall into the same fate as his yeah. best friend who used to work at the school. And I think that that permeate the permeation of sex in this movie isn't just there in that sort of like fear tammy is also in that same boat oh yeah because you know she loves that girl and if that is a that scene worked so well for me this time around when spoiler alert sorry 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 uh when mom and dad send her to immaculate hearts oh my god it's uh, i like i cheered i was like yeah even though i knew it was coming i still cheered (laughs) i had forgotten about that scene because the tammy stuff isn't the first thing in my mind that pops out but i was like Oh fuck! Here we go. It's about to go down. Tammy's about to get fucked, and then we're like, we're sending you to Immaculate Heart because that is where her crush goes, and then they get to hopefully be together. And it's just this little moment of respite uh, for Tammy, and it's so nice. It's so nice. I also want to talk while we're on the subject of Metzlers. I want to shout out um, Paul Metzler, I, the uh, Chris Klein, Chris Klein as yeah. Paul Metzler, who was picked out by Alexander Payne for this movie. Um, this is his debut film, and he kind of just, like, like Alexander Payne found him while they were scouting locations. Uh, and he was kind of a, uh, he shows up in American Pie, he shows up in Just Friends, 
He's on the Flash. I'm looking at his IMDb right now. I'm kind of cheating a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, You're cheating. Uh-huh. He, he, he. Um, but he is so... Um, he's a naive character, but he's not stupid. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, um, th- and he's so sweet, too. You're just, like, immediately endeared to this guy. Like, he, you get the sense that he... Not only is he, like, popular because he's, like, the, the football captain or whatever, but also just because he's, like, a genuinely nice guy and likes and, like, people like to be around him. Um, totally. And uh, I love the scene where Mr. Where McAllister is trying to recruit him. And just oh, it tries to explain to him why he needs to run. Yeah. And he goes, uh, what's your favorite fruit? Pears. And then he goes up to the board and says, wait. And Jim McAllister goes to the board. He says, wait, apples. And then, like, Jim McAllister <laughs> does this whole thing and says, bananas are good, too. <laughs> and then, It's just, it's it's so just spot on of a guy who absolutely should not be running for president and is just the puppet. He's a fucking yeah. puppet of Jim McAllister. And it's, you know, just the way that all these characters get to interact with each other is so nice. I mean, I don't know if there's much else that we can say that we haven't touched on already, unless you want to say something. Well, that we th- haven't there said is already. one. Are, are you aware of the original ending of this movie? Uh, no, I'm not. So I Uh-oh. think, I, so here's what it is. This is from IMDb. And I've, I know this, this is not, just some asshole in IMDb putting it a random thing out there. This is like kind of widely reported. Um, the original ending had Tracy and Jim McAllister reconciling, revealing that the whole thing was maybe a twisted love hate relationship. Tracy comes to the car dealership where McAllister is working and asks him to sign her yearbook. She confesses fear to him about going off to college and he consoles her and then apologizes to her for sabotaging the election. This is a huge department from what happens in the theatrical release, which does not have any such reconciliation between the story rivals. Uh, In the theatrical version, McAllister's election sabotage gets picked up by the media and is blasted all over the country. McAllister, who is utterly humiliated, winds up going into hiding and running away to New York where he becomes a museum tour guide there. And then that's, sees yeah. Tracy again in Washington D.C. It's just, it's that's the end of the movie when you watch. Or, that's yeah. such a better ending. That ending that is reported about the car dealership thing that would be so boring. It would be so boring, and it also wouldn't make sense for the movie. No, the the, the themes and the the sort of relationships that are set up. There's no way because McAllister just hates people like Tracy because in a way he will never be someone like Tracy. Yeah, you know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. I think, like, yeah, that's what's so... He will never yeah. have the motivation to do what Tracy does and he wants to find every way to keep that down, which is evil as shit, especially for someone in the educational world. He's so evil and he is like... One of my favorite things, um, I love when a movie... This is also a movie where, like, the main character kind of doesn't learn anything. Like, he gets punished and he runs away and goes into hiding, but he doesn't... You don't get the sense that he learned anything because... It's a comedic tragedy. It's a comedic tragedy, which is why I love it so much. It's a great satire because he says, like, he's over, like, footage of him, like, um, ignoring another, like, kind of uh, excited young girl on his tour. He says, like, it's nice when things change or something like that. Um, And... It, this is so true to life. I think like uh, it's so true to life and it's so fun to see it reflected in, in movies when there's just like, you know, people don't learn anything a lot of the time. <laughs> a lot yeah. of times people like uh, repeat this. Not same. in politics, baby. No, not, definitely not in politics. Definitely not people in power. They'd never learn. They truly never learn from their mistakes. Uh, and you can't rely on them to uh, make any kind of change uh, for your for your life for the better. You have to do that yourself. Uh that That's all that right. being said, Bernie twenty twenty baby. Uh, there we go. Feel the burn. 
But yeah, I mean, I love this movie, dude. I'm so happy that you uh, brought this on. This is a full recommend for me. I this is one that I'm gonna be coming. I when I used to give uh, ratings on Letterboxd, this is a four and a half, and on rewatch, I bumped it up to a five. So it's in the all timers club just because it's such a wow. fucking classic. Yeah, I love this movie. Well, this is also easily a full recommend for me. I also bumped it up, but I didn't give it a five. I gave it from a four to a four point five. This movie Woo. has had an incredible. As far as you want to talk a little bit about letterbox ratings, uh, <laughs> this movie has had a insane letterbox trajectory. I think at one point it was a two and a half star. Really for me. interesting. Yeah, that was a, in the in the dark ages, as they say. Uh, and then I bumped it up to a three and a half. And then I thought about the movie so much that I'm like, you know what? Uh, we're gonna give this a four. And then I gave it a four, and it sat at a four for a while. But it was one of those that always sort of circulated throughout my head, especially at the end of college. Yeah. And now that we have an opportunity to do this on the pod. I said, Baba Booey, Baba Booey, we're going to do it on the pod, and now we're at a 4.5. Yes, Chef. Thank you, Chef. And this is a full recommend from me. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Alexander Payne, I hope you do something uh, that isn't downsizing on the next go-around, uh, even though I I forgot about that. That's the other Alexander Payne movie I haven't seen. <laughs> some would say underrated. Interesting. I've heard some would say I've also some some could say uh, I've heard that it is like watching two movies stacked on top of each other as far as what is going on in that film. But that is also I haven't what seen I hear it about it. Yeah, because who gives a fuck? Uh, Mason, what's your little recommendo? You know what? I got two this week. Oh, I got two. Shit. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do a movie and I'm going to do a uh, location. I'm going to do a landmark. So first, oh, fuck. a movie. Uh, I saw last Monday, took a little, it was President's Day, I was downtown, it was a rainy day, rainy snowy day downtown, I went to the zoo, and then I went to the Century Center Cinema, the landmark Century Center in Chicago, off of Clark and Diversity, and I saw Kitty Green's The Assistant, which is, uh, stars Julia Garner in a tremendous performance, Julia Garner is one of my favorite, uh, young actors, I say young, she's probably around my age, uh, Tremendous actor, tremendous performance. Um, all it's like this, this like uh, really kind of like gray beige mood piece about an assistant to like a, like a day in the life of a Weinstein, like the assistant to like a Weinstein type movie executive. All yeah. about the like kind of um, minor, uh, just the the mundane hell of working yep. for that guy. Uh, just a really incredible kind of mood and tone piece anchored by a really tremendous performance by Julia Garner. Uh, I know the Academy doesn't have that long of a memory and I know that, uh, but if they did like maybe did move like Oscars every quarter, this would be like kind of my favorite for the year so far. Uh, and I, I think it'll stay up there, but just, just a really tremendous movie. Uh, so see that if you're in LA or New York or wherever it is, uh, or if you're listening to this in the future and have access to it, see the assistant loved it. Uh, my other thing, uh, I went to a little bar on the west side of Chicago, northwest side of Chicago last night called, or the night before, called uh, Sidekicks. Cash yeah, only. Is. Make sure you cash bring your only. cash. $5 gin and tonics. Kick-ass. Uh, Kick-ass uh, chicken tender and fry basket. Real good tavern-style pizza. Good atmosphere. They got karaoke every night. Uh, just wow. a cool, fun little old, old-timey old watering hole uh, that I really enjoy. So if you're in Chicago or you're visiting Chicago, Go check out Sidekicks. Chef Noah. Thank you, Chef. What do you got cooking up for us? All right. I got some. I got one thing yeah. uh, for us today. I got one dish. This is a one-pot dish. <laughs> uh, it literally just came out on HBO uh, last night. Mm-hmm. You got to check out Whitmer Thomas, The Golden One. 
the stand-up special. You got it. I saw you just it, logged that on Letterboxd. So good. It is less... You might not be doing as much laughing uh, out loud, uh, but it is absolutely worth your time. It is a lean, mean 64 minutes, and it is just fantastic. And Hell if yeah. you have access to HBO Go... You can watch it there. I don't know if HBO Now is the same as HBO Go, but I think you can probably find it there as well. Yeah. Uh, just a fantastic, uh, self-reflexive uh, look at a man. And even though maybe the public doesn't know Whitmer in the same way that we know a different comic, you know, like, I don't know, like a Joe Rogan or an Ali Wong or something. Yeah. This guy. Oh, <laughs> what? And then that's a Hannah Gadsby. <laughs> Yes, chef. Uh, even though we don't maybe know as a, on a on a global level, Whitmer Thomas the same way that we know those people, uh, you will feel like you know him after you watch this. Great. And I just can't recommend it enough. So that's my little rec for the week. Cool. Um, do we want to just tell everyone that we're going to be on hiatus next week? We are. We're taking a little. Uh, life kind of gets in the way of making a podcast. Sometimes it happens. It sometimes. happens. Uh, but so, so next we week we'll be on hiatus next week. Just and, one week. Uh, yes, chef. You want to just you want to just give it so we don't <laughs> talk over each other. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just one week. But the week after, we're gonna have a guest, our first guest in this new kind of setup. And Noah told me what that's gonna be, what that's gonna entail, and I am so excited to talk about it. It's a little fucked, but little it'll fun. be fun. It'll be a, definitely will be something we have not done on this pod before. Definitely That's all not. I'm going to say. Yes, it'll be it, it it it's it's very exciting. I can't wait. So, uh we'll be around definitely on like trying to encourage you to listen to our old episodes cuz now we are on Spotify as well as SoundCloud and iTunes and I'm working on getting us on more platforms in the next couple of days, but uh yeah, if you're curious, make sure to tell your friends to find us on those three platforms. Also on, uh, do you want to, Chef Noah, do you want to take away the plugs where you can find the show, how to get in contact with Oh, Chef, if you want to send the show an email, you can send us an email to everybody wants to, number two, everybody wants to get on the list at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts, but that app is a piece of shit. Yes. So I would recommend using Spotify. Uh, you can also get in contact with us on our socials. You can get us on Instagram at it's on underscore the list. You can DM us on Twitter or look at our Twitter feed at it's on the list pod. And you can find us on Facebook if you're fucking into that. Like I know Mason is it's on the list with Noah and Mason on there. Uh, you can find my personals, uh, at Noah.marger on Instagram at YLG.world for some comedy stuff. And you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Moa Narger. Take it away, Mace. What are your plugs? My plugs, you can listen to my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about The Shield, on all your podcast platforms. You can find me on Instagram, excuse me, at Hot Dog Tabicki, Hot Dog the Food Tabicki, Elizabeth Tabicki, or Good Sky Ha-ha, Tonight. Very funny chef. Uh, <laughs> or Good Sky Tonight, T O N I T E. Also on Letterboxd. I think that about does it. Uh, if you see me on the streets of Chicago, uh, I'll be chomping on a, a big old Chicago-style dog and trying to oh, yeah. uh, trying to wipe the mustard off of my out of my mustache there. So that's uh, where you can Damn. find me otherwise. Hey, I'm fucking eating a hot dog. Oh, here's hey. a question. Yeah. What would be the worst food to try and eat 
on the streets. Oh. If you're running from one place to the other, like what's the worst food you could potentially be eating well, on I the streets? Well, I mean, just from personal experience, a hot dog is not great walking food because I did, when I landed in L- in Chicago after I was moving back from LA to start this new chapter in my life, I got a hot dog from the Gold Coast Dogs at the Midway Terminal. I was trying to walk through the airport and eat a hot dog and I would not recommend doing that. I also, oh, don't, yeah, think, I also don't think a Yarrow is a particularly good street uh, walking food. That's exactly what I was going to say i feel like anything that's wrapped in a falafel is fucking doomed to fail absolutely wrapped wrapped in a wrapped in a pita especially if it's falafel because that shit can fall out but if i'm just thinking everything i feel like steak or birthday cake (laughs) has to be like the worst fucking street food because you gotta cut that shit you need like a fucking carving board and if it's birthday cake you gotta hold the fucking plate in one hand and then eat with the other hand and you're just then you just look like an asshole walking down the street more than anything That's it, baby. But, uh, yeah, we will not see you next week, but we'll see you very shortly. Thank you, chefs. Thank you for the attention. Uh, we don't get enough of that at home, so we appreciate it on the internet. Uh, and have a lovely two weeks until we see you then. Uh, Arriva Dare Cheese.